I read an article this uh, past week um, by a licensed professional counselor who was writing uh, kind of about the effects of COVID on the everyday realities of some of her uh, patients. And, and this article, she writes this, she says this, and I just, I totally resonated with this, uh, not only personally, but as I talk with people and as I talk to some of you, even at the end of our gatherings, and we kind of connect and we talk about life and how things are going. And even, even as we gathered here today, this morning, not so much online, because online we can pretend everything's okay. Uh, but, you know, in, in person, it's hard to kind of, you know, I, I say, hi, how you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm good. Right? And, and you can tell on the faces that uh, it's not that maybe we're not good. It's just that we all wish things were different, right? And uh, this author, in this article, she wrote this. She goes, we're being stretched in so many ways that at times we may feel thin. Our thoughts and emotions run deep, but are now close to the surface where they are easily accessible and effortlessly triggered. I just thought that was very interesting because if you're from Minnesota, from the Midwest, you know that, um, well, first of all, we don't have emotions, right? They're always happy and they're polite. That's, those are our two emotions, right? Polite and happy uh, because we're Minnesota nice. But I think we have seen that even in the midst of COVID that the most disciplined of us, the most Norwegian of us are feeling as if though our emotions are right at the surface that just a little thing could trigger us, could send us off the edge. And I'll be honest with you, um, I've never pastored through anything like this in my lifetime. I've never, I don't think I've ever been part of a church family and having to learn to live life together with people through a time quite like this. And when I prayfully consider what kind of message that both in a setting like this, the follower of Jesus and maybe even the skeptic alike need to hear, I could think of no other thing that we need other than, and if you know me, you probably know where I'm going with this. There's nothing more than we need than the gospel. Or as it's more literally referred to as Good news, good news. So, today marks the beginning of a new Christmas series entitled, Good News, Good News. And whether you think that talk of Christmas shouldn't start until December, right? Some of you are like, thank you, you didn't start singing Christmas music because we're not supposed to start that until December. Or maybe you're someone who starts thinking uh, about Christmas in the middle of summer, or you're the kind of person who, when you walk through Target in the middle of October, you're like, Christmas! <laughs> I mean, you may not laugh like that, but you know what I mean? Like, you're that person. You're that person who, uh, whether you're, you're the person who's like, bah humbug, or you're like, yay, Christmas! Um, in light of the current circumstances and realities, I think it's safe to say that even if you are the embodiment of, you know, the who <laughs> regarding Christmas. 
we need some good news. We need some good news. But here's the funny thing about good news. Here's the funny thing about good news. Unless you're looking for it, you don't find it. Unless you're looking for it, you don't find it. If you're like most human beings, you, like I do, often always find what we are looking for, right? Think about the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. A vulture and a hummingbird. The vulture does what? It soars high in the sky, searching for what? What do vultures go looking for? Dead things, right? They, they look for dead things. And what do vultures eventually find in their searching? Dead things. It doesn't stop until it finds lifeless, rotting roadkill, right? That's what vultures do. Now compare that to the hummingbird, still a bird. But hummingbirds don't go flying around looking for dead things, do they? Anyone ever seen a hummingbird in real life? They are the cutest little things. Or it's the scariest because they look like little mice with flying wings. But anyways, don't think about that too long. It might freak you out. But hummingbirds, they search for sweet nectar. Right? Right? <laughs> and so that's what they look for. And what do hummingbirds eventually find? Sweet nectar. They find exactly what they're looking for. And the same is true for you and me. We always find what we are looking for, except if you're maybe you too, because you still haven't found what you're looking for. Anyways, never mind. Um, that wasn't in my notes, but that was a really good joke. I'll remember that. No, not a good joke. No, sorry. Mark's over there going, mm, no. Don't do that. If you want to find things to be negative or worry about, it's not hard to do, right? If you're looking for things to be negative about, it's not hard to do. And if you want to focus your mind on finding things to be positive and encouraging, you can do that too, by the way. Modern science shows in study after study after study after study that the way we think has a direct influence regarding how long a person lives, how healthy a person lives, how happier they seem to be or fulfilled that they feel their lives end up being. And that's just the science part. I'm talking about the things that you don't have to be a Christian to think about and observe and understand. These are the things that are not necessarily Christian things. But when it comes to the good news, when it comes to the gospel, if you want to have good news, you have to set your sights on good news. If you want the realities of the gospel to show up in your life, you need to set your sights on the realities of the gospel in your everyday life because you find what you're seeking for. In fact, we've been talking about this over the last several weeks. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says this, seek what? First, the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus Elsewhere will say, if you seek me, you will what? Find me. Okay, Jesus is not playing some version of cosmic hide-and-seek where, you know, uh, unless you're really skilled and you know the places that Jesus usually tries to hang out, uh, only there you're going to be able to find him. No, no, if you seek him, 
he's able to be found. And, and the same is to be true about the gospel, good news. For those who follow the teachings of Jesus, of course, this was nothing new. In fact, one follower of Jesus in the early church who wrote most of the New Testament said this in what we call Romans 12 verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then, a very important word, then you will learn to know God's will for you. Maybe you don't believe everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible. Let me put it in a term that you understand. Then you will come to understand everything that you were created to be, everything inside of you that says, I was meant for more than the realities of what I'm living today. If you allow yourself to be transformed by God, then you will know God's will for you which, by the way, is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, you don't have to be someone who has lived a long life on this earth to know this to be true. When it comes to your thoughts, you will always find what you are looking for. If you think negatively, guess what? You will but be negative. If you think happy thoughts, you will find yourselves generally more happy, more positive. Paul says that when you let God transform the way you think, so if, if this is what we could do for ourselves, right? That's, you know, we all get that, right? If you think negatively, you, you, you are a negative person. And that's on our own doing, like when we change the way we think. Like, think about that. Like, when we change the way we think, we're pretty much able to change the spectrum of things, the, the reality of things, the perspective of things. Now watch what happens when you let God change the way you think. Paul says this. He says that when you let God transform the way you think, the way you see things, as well as the things you are looking for, God's way of doing things start to come into focus. And it starts making more sense. But to get to that point, it starts by allowing God to change how we think. And if there's one thing that changes everything, it is the gospel. The gospel changes everything. The good news of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, over the next few weeks, I want to talk about some aspects of the good news that I think can actually really help not only prepare our hearts and minds for this Christmas season, but I think can actually help us all find where we were meant to be, what we were meant to look for. And so, today is just an intro to the series, so I encourage you to come back or listen, log on. We're going to try to embrace this idea of what does it mean to allow the good news of Jesus to overwhelm our hearts and minds so that when Christmas comes up, listen, by the way, all the stuff that you usually use to make yourself feel Christmasly are, are, are being denied to you anyways, right? I mean, Thanksgiving for some of you, you, you 
You were told you can't go here, you can't do that, and you can't do this. And so the realities for what the holiday will look on, if you allow it to, the current realities can make you more bitter. Or you can understand what the believers over hundreds of years in all kinds of situations that would honestly look at our current realities and go, (laughs) you think that's bad? (laughs) Let me tell you about that time that my brother, Japheth, got thrown into the gladiators. Like, Like, let's just put it in perspective. And they were able to be encouraged in their faith and live the kind of lives that are defined by joy and peace and happiness. So, today I want to talk about this word, hope. In fact, I actually brought, bring that, Brennan, can you, that there's, it's on my backpack. Ah, forget it. It was a little ornament that was on the, yeah, there, right, yeah, right there. Yeah, right there. It's on, yep, 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 yep. Do, 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 thank you, thank you. All right. Everyone here for Brendan. Woo! Way to go. <laughs> He's on camera. So, I hung this up on the tree uh, yesterday. It's a little, uh, uh, some of you might have these type of things. I don't know if you've already set up your tree, but this, this word hope, hope is what I want to talk about today. Hope is what I want us to take a look at regarding the idea of capturing good news for us. Because it's true, what we often look for, we find. Hope, then, is something that we should talk about. Because how many of you could use more hope right now? Yeah, I could. Selfishly for yourself, right? But then if you get more altruistic you do start thinking things like, I, 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 would, I would want more hope for my, my neighbors who are scared, who are fearful. I would like more hope for maybe my loved ones who are older. And while maybe I don't worry about myself, the idea of shortening the life of those I love due to a stupid disease like COVID doesn't seem very hopeful. Maybe it is the idea I would love to see my friend who has a small business that's just really struggling right now because of all the restrictions. I'd like to see more hope for him, for her, for their family. Right? We could all use a little bit more hope. The question is, though, what hope should we have? Or maybe another way to put it is this. What hopes are worth the energy of all of our hoping? So where are your hopes? Let me ask you, where are your hopes? I'm going to pick on some of you now. And just forgive me. I wasn't thinking of any one person, but if you feel called out, well, I don't know what to say. Are your hopes where a lot of other Americans have placed their time 
energy and resources over the last several months? Has it been in a candidate? Has it been in a party? Or maybe it's neither, it's, maybe it's a movement that you think will really begin to make things right as you think they should be if they become the candidate, the party, the movement of influence. That's your hope. Or maybe, are your hopes in an ideal? Are you placing your hopes in the ability to one day live a certain way? Express yourself in a certain way without fear or opposition. Have you invested your time, energy, or resources trying to figure out how you can acquire that reality or create that kind of environment for yourself, those you love? Or maybe are your hopes in another person? If you'll be honest with yourself, your hopes are in your spouse. Or maybe it's that friend. Or maybe it's that family member. Is it a pursuit, maybe, of a significant other or a deep friendship that you could invest all your time and energy and resources in? Believing that if you just had that person, you know, if I had that mother, that father, if I only had that son or that daughter, if I only had that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that husband, that wife, that boss, if you had that then, then my life would be better. I would feel at peace and my heart at a minimum would be satisfied. Where are your hopes? Where have you placed your hopes? Now, today I want us to look at Mark 13 because Mark 13 is an interesting passage of Scripture, and it's totally not a Christmas passage, but I think it's absolutely perfect in talking about this idea of hope. Because Jesus and His disciples, here in Mark chapter 13, we find them somewhere in between what we now refer to as Palm Sunday and the Last Supper. So the events between Palm Sunday and the Last Supper. And we catch wind of where they were placing their hopes. Like, look at this. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. They said this. Uh, it says this. As he, Jesus, was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, what massive stones! What impressive buildings! And Jesus said to him, Eh, yeah, you see the great buildings? Yeah, Jesus, they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, not one stone will be left upon another. What? Yeah. All will be thrown down. Let's keep going. And so they walked. The three-mile trek, about an hour hike outside of Jerusalem towards the Mount of Olives. Now, before we go any further, for the Jew, their hopes have always been in a land with a temple 
where they could practice their religion and worship their God. If you follow this storyline of the Jewish people, it, it, now it's oversimplifying it, I know, for those of you who are Bible nerds, but the Jewish people have always been in search for a land with their temple where they could practice their religion and worship their God. And for generations, devout Jews told their children, who told their children's children, of, a, of, of the great prophecies from, from the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, promising a coming, or we could say an advent of a Messiah, a Savior. The disciples of Jesus just witnessed Jesus being celebrated as the coming one. Palm Sunday, people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means save us. And they, they, they talked about this, about him being the one. And so the disciples were putting their hopes in this ideal of Jesus coming to be the person to restore their land, restore their temple. <laughs> look, Jesus, Jesus, look at this temple. It's awesome. It's already been made for you. All you got to do is just get rid of the Romans. Let's just do this, Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus says, yeah, uh, that temple, it's not going to be here for long. Right. And so the disciples point to this magnificent structure that was the temple as to set up Jesus to say something like, you know, well, you think that's awesome. <laughs> Wait to see what I do next. <laughs> right? And they were like, yeah, well, I mean, Jesus, he was over at the temple. He was like throwing tables and stuff. And man, I mean, this is the kind of Savior we're looking for. He like doesn't stand up. To, he, doesn't, he doesn't back down for nobody. He's not going to be anybody's, you know, whatever. You know, I can only think of an expletive right now, but uh, there's probably a good word to say. Um, pet, right? He's not going to back down. Instead... <laughs> Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus basically takes a big bucket of water <laughs> and throws it all over the burning fire that was their hopes and dreams and was like, yeah, sorry, but not sorry. It wasn't until they had reached the Mount of Olives just outside of the city, like I said, which is probably about one hour of solid hiking, that someone finally asked Jesus what he meant by what he had said. Read this in verse 3. It says this, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, <clears throat> Jesus, uh, tell us, that thing you were talking about, when will these things happen? And, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, if you're a Bible nerd, <laughs> you are already laughing because you can connect the dots between what happened back at the temple and now what has happened some three miles away. Now, if you're not a Bible nerd, it's okay, but I don't want to leave you hanging, so here's what you need to know. Jesus had many disciples, okay? Some of you are like, that's enough. You're like, what? It's not just 12? 
No, <laughs> it was a lot of disciples, okay? He did have a 12, though. And of those 12, there was this select few that even the disciples knew Jesus kind of really connected with. That, you know, if, if they were to be really fleshly, they'd be like, oh, that Jesus, I mean, we know He loves us all, but He has His cliques too. So I guess that's not just a problem with modern-day pastors and stuff, but, right? So Jesus has His little few. And I can imagine that over an hour of hiking, right? So the disciple who asked Jesus this, who made this declaration of Jesus, who said, look at the temple. It's awesome. Look at the stones. I mean, I don't know why. I, I guess he talks like he's from California. But well, look at the stones, Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, Ugh. I can imagine that what ended up happening over this hour trip is that someone's like, yo, bro, uh, do you see the temple? Yeah, man. Temple's awesome. Yeah, like, shh, 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 shh. Jesus, Jesus said, um, what did he say? Did he say we're going to like take over the temple? No, no, um, actually he said like, oh, okay, like later then? Like, no, I, I mean, he actually said it's not going to be there. Wh- what? Like, yeah, uh, he said like not even one stone was going to be another. Like, that's, that's crazy. No, Jesus didn't say that. No, no, he did, he did. Did someone tell? I wonder if Peter, James, and John know this. Like, they probably know already. They probably know because they're like already, did someone tell him? And then they went to go tell him. And then, and then Peter, James, John, and Andrew were probably, you know, walking along. And all of a sudden, they hear this news and they're like, what's going on here? And then I can only imagine, they're like, well, did, you, did Jesus say anything more? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, why don't you go ask him? And they're like, well, <laughs> that's what thought you could do. And so, here we have this scene. This is the reason why it says they go to Jesus privately on the Mount of Olives and they ask Him this question. And they ask Him to shoot straight. Jesus, be honest with us. And Jesus, knowing that these are His guys, decided to not sugarcoat it. And, get, and, he, and He went right to the point. And here's what He said. Verse 5 to 9, He said this. Jesus told them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying I'm he. And they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place. These things must, must, must take place. But it is not yet the end, for nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famine. These are the beginnings of birth pains. But you be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me, as a witness to them. Okay, Phil, uh, I thought this was a message about hope, and so far your Scripture passage stinks. Okay, I get it. Hold on. It gets better. So it was about this time that Jesus knew the natural reaction to hearing that if you're a follower of Jesus and lives like you follow Jesus, and that you live like Jesus, he understands the reaction of what 
someone who lives like that hears that they are eventually going to be arrested and flogged. Like if I told every one of you, everybody welcome, welcome to our gathering. Uh, in about 30 minutes, the police will come to wherever you're at and you will be arrested and uh, you will be flogged. <laughs> that would change a lot of things for you, right? There's something about that reality. The natural reaction would be, yeah, I think we're going to just, you know, we're going to place our trust in you, Jesus, but we're not really going to do maybe the being the witness stuff. Maybe we want to be like Joseph of Arimathea or, you know, maybe uh, like he was a secret Christian, as the Bible says. You know, he's a secret Christian. Uh, we're going to be one of those secret Christians. And what does Jesus say here in verse 10? I think it's very interesting. Look at this. Here's what he says. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. Now, this is not the main point, but I think it's very important for us to stop here and remember this. In the midst of our COVID realities, because I think we could forget this, church. At church, I think we could forget this, church. Jesus was like, and by the way, all of these things that I'm about to tell you in no way changes the mission. The realities will change, it will get harder, it will seem like your life is about as worse as it could ever be, but the mission remains the same. It is necessary that the gospel be preached. One Bible scholar who writes a wonderful commentary on this passage of Scripture sums up what Jesus was doing best here when he wrote this. I'll just read it because it's good. He says this, The main purpose of what was Jesus was saying was not to satisfy curiosity about the future, but to give practical, ethical teaching. In this discourse, Jesus combines eschatology, which is you know, stuff about the end times, and ex with exhortation and encouragement, right? With the emphasis on the latter, emphasis on the encouragement. He is preparing his disciples beyond them, the church, you, that's you and me, to live and to witness in a hostile world. Jesus seems to be saying here, instead of looking for signs of the end, I like this, get busy and spread the good news. All nations must hear before the end comes. Now, you can read the rest for yourself of what Jesus continues to go on into detail about regarding what is going to be happening in the end times. In fact, it's a, uh, a very wonderful and very hotly debated uh, passage of Scripture, but it's fun nonetheless, and I, I, I encourage you to look at it. But what you need to understand is that from the triumphal entry to news about the impending doom on the Mount of Olives, I can imagine the slow turn of emotions that must have been going through Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And what probably felt like the worst motivational speech of all time, Jesus tells them that even heaven and earth will pass away. And he says that, if you look at verse, uh, where is it? Uh, Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 33, watch, be alert, for you do not know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, 
gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert since you don't know when the master of the house is coming. Sorry, the mic is going crazy. Whether the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Okay, Phil, we're still waiting for the good news. <laughs> Listen, there are many reasons, there are many ways for us to understand why Jesus came. There, there, are, many, there are many ways to look at the, this idea of answering, like, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? And one of the ways is by looking at how Jesus used these last moments, and here's what you need to understand. These were his last moments before he engaged in what we would now define as the greatest display of love, which was his torture and his death, which, praise the Lord, culminated in his resurrection and the defeat of death. But here in this moment, Jesus told them that their hope was not in their current circumstances because the truth was that things were going to get a lot worse. Jesus was teaching them. Here's what I need you to hear. Jesus was teaching them that their hope was not found in what could be experienced in this life. But what Jesus was ultimately accomplishing for all of eternity it's not about what you're experiencing, but what Jesus was accomplishing. Hope is not found in what you could experience or hope to experience, but ultimately in what Jesus has accomplished and is accomplishing and promises to accomplish. This Christmas season, the question I want us to ask ourselves is where is your hope? Because over the next few weeks, my prayer is that you would begin to build your hope in the good news of Jesus. That you would be the kind of people who reform the perspective, retool the way you look at life, put a different lens on, I don't even know how many other ways I could say this, my hope is that we would begin to view our current realities not in light of our selfish, I'm speaking to myself here too, of our selfish hopes, but that we would ultimately view our life because at the end of the day, Jesus says it's the only thing that'll get us through anyways. And none of you, as far as I know of, are facing flogging and death and being handed over to the magistrates. So what kind of hope does he give these people? Well, he says to them, stay awake. Watch. For what? Set your mind, set your heart on the fact that I am coming again. When was the last time that you found yourself out of the desire to see God's kingdom come, His will be done, and not relief from this earth, the coming again of our Savior and King, Jesus? 
When was the last time? I mean, I'm asking myself this because let's just be honest. Like, I make a living reading passages of Scripture and helping people understand it, but like it, I'll just be honest with you. Like, yeah. I do not often think of my life in terms of like, Jesus is coming back. And how should that form the way I look at this world? And how does it... How does it inform the way I reorganize and repurpose my everyday rhythms and view what seems to be undesirable? But Jesus himself says it must happen. How do you reconcile that? I only think you reconcile that by placing your hope in the good news of Jesus, that he's coming again. I think an older generation of church understood this, at least maybe in the church I grew up. We used to sing a lot of songs about Jesus coming again. We used to sing things like, I'll fly away. And we'll sing things, you know, uh, you know I don't really hear about that much anymore, but maybe, maybe we need to start thinking about that. Maybe we've become too fixated on the present. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, we might be better off by setting our hearts and sights in light of the reality that Jesus is coming back for a bride, you and me, that is ready. Are you ready? Are you awake? My hope is that over the next several weeks that the good news of Jesus would be able to overwhelm all of our selfish desires and maybe false hopes, if we could call it that. And my hope is that we'd be able to say with the same kind of conviction, the same thing that Paul would write to the Christians in and around the city of Rome that sounds a lot like what Jesus was trying to communicate. And some of you know this. In Romans 8, he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. You see, Paul got this. <laughs> he understood that if you wanted to make it through with the same mind and not go absolutely crazy through whatever life throws at you, you've got to fixate your mind on the glory of that which is going to be revealed to us. And what is that? Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? For the creation eagerly waits with the anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Oh my goodness, it's not just us. All of creation is waiting for the glory of God to be revealed again in Jesus' coming. And then he skips later down in this same chapter and he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him, <laughs> just in case if you thought that this was about you, through him who loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing, neither COVID, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So where are you placing your hope? As I invite the worship team to come back up, this is the question I, I want us to wrestle with. 
Like, what is occupying our, our minds and our thoughts and our worries? As we prepare our hearts and mind for this season of Christmas, I would hope that what everyone is dreading already regarding Christmas 2020, I see it, I see everyone talking about, oh, my goodness, Christmas 2020, it's going to be, oh. Sure, it could be that, but if that's what you're looking for, you're going to find it. Or we could place our hope in the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you'll find <laughs> some hope, like real hope, like real hope. 